it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. 1 866 408 7669. Man, we have a lot to discuss today. We are riding the breaking news. The President of the United States over in Belfast, Ireland, and now he's going over to Dublin to retrace his roots and maybe commemorate the Good Friday Agreement, but I, I don't know what he's doing. He will not take any questions from the press. I can't imagine a president going overseas, meeting with world leaders, and not taking any questions, doing any sit-downs. He says, well, he takes shouted questions from afar. I mean, who is in charge? Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. I believe we give the voters a choice so that they can decide how we move forward. As opposed to trying to have a conversation about how to beat a Republican, I think we're better off having a conversation about beating Joe Biden. Trump speaks. Yep, uh, 2024. Tim Scott and and a doubt remains about President Biden's future. That's what's happening in 2024. One thing is clear. Our next leader will have challenges not facing any president since FDR. Number two. This is about the unbelievable level of crime we've seen in these these jurisdictions, these urban areas around the country where you have some left-wing prosecutor who thinks it's more important to focus on politics than it is to keep bad guys off the streets and behind bars. That is uh, Alvin Bragg and Jim Jordan going at it. Investigation intensity. Hunter Biden's business associates flooded the VP office Hunter when he was vice president. And uh, Hunter's witness steps forward. Yes, Alvin Bragg and Jim Jordan brawling in the courts, but get the sense only one understands what it means to win. Number one. We take this very seriously, and we will continue to investigate and, and turn over every rock until we find the source of this and the extent of it. There were somewhere in the web, and where exactly and who had access uh, at that point, uh, we, we don't know. Yeah, just take your time, Lloyd Austin. Massive leak. The damage is overwhelming. The origins unknown, and worse, maybe so, uh, maybe to come. Allies and enemies are equally outraged. Where is our president? Our heritage tour in our island. So just to give you an idea, if you're just tuning into this and zoning in on this, since January, evidently, there have been documents on the web, first in a distant web place, um, a distant in a small area, a gaming site. And then it kept growing until it got to Telegram that Russia uses to communicate. And then it became clear that top intelligence that includes operations in South Korea, our allies, Egypt, possibly ferrying arms over to Russia duplicitously, uh, UAE getting chagrined by our relationship, seeming to team up with Russia, Iran, and China. We have things like Israel and the Mossad, the Mossad possibly fomenting the unrest against Benjamin Netanyahu. Can you imagine that? And I mentioned South Korea being coaxed to give arms over to Ukraine. Meanwhile, politically, it's not strong for the current leadership there and the current government there. Didn't want that out. There is massive damage done. No sense of knowing who actually leaked documents, but it isn't hacked. 
because these are photos and maps, and they seem to be information that was printed out that might have some numbers that could lead us to finding out who actually did it. But when you find out a week ago that something's been leaking out for four months, gives you a long time to cover your tracks. 53 documents in particular. Cut to. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin pushed back on reports the classified documents had been online for months, saying the leaks are from February 28th and March 1st. The DOJ-led investigation is focused on a potential human source or mole. New indications suggest whoever leaked the documents may not have worked inside the Pentagon. Some of the documents are highly classified and not easily accessed by most Pentagon officials. And while we wonder what happened... Understand how bad this looks. That we're spying on our allies. We got great intel of Russia. We got spies on the ground, whether it's uh, signals we're picking up from the air or we got a person on the inside. The intelligence, pristine and fantastic, and probably over because it's been exposed now. Russians manipulated some of the data to make them look good, so it's hard to know what is real and what is not. We know that John Kirby just said that he understands that it also reveals in these documents Ukrainian information. Like, for example, the fact that Ukraine plans a spring surge. How exactly we counsel them to do it. Really? That's going to suck now that they got to change those plans. Also, it's revealed that we have special forces on the ground. And John Kirby, looking to maybe be uh, soft land disinformation, said this, cut three. Something in these documents uh, reveals that there are U.S. special forces inside of Ukraine. Has there been a change to the U.S. force posture there? There has been no change to the president's uh, mandate that there will not be American troops in Ukraine fighting in this war. Uh, I won't talk to the specifics of numbers and that kind of thing, but to get to your exact question, uh, there is a small U.S. military presence at the embassy in conjunction with the defense attache's office to help us work on accountability uh, of the material that uh, is going in and out of Ukraine. Uh, So they're attached to that embassy and to that defense attache office. And for clarity, that's, they are in the embassy in Ukraine, but they are not fighting. That is right. They are not fighting on the battlefield. Unbelievable. This guy, Brett Bruin, who's president of Global Situation Room, said this, how the heck can this happen again? These kind of large-scale security breaches were supposed to be a thing of the past. New controls and checks were put in place. Yet clearly it was not enough, and we need a major rethink and revision to the classified document program. Who wants to share any intelligence with the U.S.? Who's going to feel secure knowing that we're spying on our enemies and our allies to this degree? William Burns, director of the FDF, uh, the CIA, cut for. That urgent category, the issue that you mentioned, uh deeply unfortunate uh, leak of classified documents is, is certainly as intense as anything in that now part of the inbox as well. And, you know, it's something that the U.S. government takes extremely seriously. The Pentagon and the Department of Justice have now launched a quite intense investigation to get to the bottom of this. There's not a whole lot I can add to that at this point with that investigation going on. So I went to Discord, 4chan, Telegram now out. So some people have speculated. It's got to be a young person if they knew to go to Discord. Discord's a gaming site. All right. My sense was, and this is how naive I am. My sense was the smallest, biggest site, if you have uh, American Intel out there, that it wouldn't sit out there for a day, not an hour. 
let alone three months. Now, you hear the Secretary of Defense says, no, this wasn't January, this was March. I don't, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if I buy anything. And by the way, why is Lloyd Austin acting like a press secretary? We take this very seriously. No kidding, you should take it seriously. You're the Secretary of Defense. Here's Josh Holmes, cut eight. Absolutely clear our intelligence agencies provide an incredible amount of safety and security for the American people, but it's hard not to see that we've got a problem here, right? I mean, if you look back, Chelsea Manning, we talked about Snowden, drone leaks, now this, and in the interim, you had a four-year period where you had senior intelligence leaders perpetuating a fiction against a current occupant of of the White House. This is an ideological problem here and how these sort of ideological sleeper cells maintain access to the highest, most classified intelligence information is anybody's guess. But once they get to the bottom of this, I think you got to have a serious conversation about a reform here. Yeah, I would think so. And by the way, that was Josh Holmes. He used to work for Mitch McDonald, Republican strategist. So the other thing I want to bring you to is a series of cases out there. And Bragg and Jordan are going at it. Why? Alvin Bragg, as a DA, decides to make Donald Trump a federal issue, says he he violated a state crime when it comes to election law. Total horse crap. $130,000, and you indict a president for the first time in U.S. history. Jim Jordan wants some answers, and he decides he's going to haul him in, subpoena him, and tell him to come. And in the same way, Mark Pomerantz, who wrote a book about the investigations on Trump and how corrupt Trump is, in his office of uh, Alvin Bragg and resigned when Alvin Bragg did not bring a suit against him, is also about to be subpoenaed, in which time all of a sudden we find out that there's going to be a Alvin Bragg lawsuit against Jim Jordan. Why is he so freaked out about this? You would think the district attorney in New York would have better things to do. He is aggressively pushing back against Jordan, which makes me feel as though uh, he's got a lot to hide. As you know, Pomerantz joined the Manhattan DA's office in 2021. He worked on the Trump probe. He resigned from the DA's office in 2022 after Bragg indicated he would not pursue an indictment. What changed? Why can't Jim Jordan find out what changed? Also indications are the Mar-a-Lago raid. The Biden administration said they were shocked to see classified documents in the former president's uh, compound. Really? It turns out you were behind it. More on that later. In terms of Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden's business associates in vice presidential presidential logs, uh, president logs at the White House, 80 visits from his business associates. 27 from Eric Sherwin, 17 from Joe Mayer, 16 from John Walker, 9 from Katie Dodge, uh, from Devin Archer, too. That's the guy he took a picture with uh, on the golf course. But we're to believe they never discussed Hunter Biden's business. What is the small talk that goes on? Perhaps most significant, the stenographer during the Obama years, passed all the background checks, says this, named Mike McCormick, said this. Joe Biden committed crimes in Ukraine in a conspiracy with the current National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. I am a witness to that happening. They've been looking at Hunter Biden, but this ties Joe Biden and Sullivan into promoting a kickback scheme in Ukraine. In Ukraine, and it's the timeline that does it. He says, I want to talk to the FBI. They don't want to talk to me. We'll talk to him and we'll relay his message. When we come back, your calls one 408 And I'll go into the Alvin Bragg situation. Donald Trump's interview last night, Tim Scott's announcement on Fox and Friends, and there's going to be a August debate, Republican August debate. Ronna McDaniel announced the details on Fox and Friends. I'll relay them to you. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We are going to host the very first debate with Fox News. It will be a Fox News Republican primary debate. But we're also going to partner with some pretty exciting partners. For the first time ever, we're going to live stream on Rumble. Uh, We're getting away from big tech. YouTube's owned by Google. We're going to have an RNC channel on Rumble. And then the Young America's Foundation, which is run by Scott Walker, to really reach out to young voters. They're based in Wisconsin, so they're going to be a partner as well. Nice. So it's going to be August. Game on. We'll see who's going to be on stage. But Ronna McDaniel, the RNC chair, who knows the date, has not revealed the date, but it'll be on Fox. Now, on that stage, Vivek Ramaswamy. We know Governor. Uh, we also know the president, uh, the pre- former president of the United States, Donald Trump. We also know Governor Nikki Haley will be there. And Asa Hutchinson, the gov- former governor of Arkansas, will be there. I really expect Mike Pence to be there. I'm getting more and more reports that Mike Pompeo is having second thoughts. Not sure why, but Tim Scott announced today, hey, basically I'm doing an exploratory committee, but it sounds like he is in. I think it's just one of those financial things to get your super PACs up and running. Uh, What a fine individual. What a diverse individual. Uh, When you talk about his business background, his football playing career, the guy went from uh, military, being raised by a mom and dad in the military on bases to basically impoverished uh, from Congress to the Senate and now among the, the leaders in the Senate. So I think he's going to be formidable uh, when he gets in. But do you need two stages? Do you think uh, – I also have a uh, – I understand Governor Chris Christie, everybody I talk to says he is in. Uh, just hasn't made a formal announcement yet. He certainly has a lot of contacts on the ground. He's done that through Iowa, done that through New Hampshire before. He definitely knows the issues. If you watch him on ABC, he's going to be tough to beat on that stage. So I think – think those are the layups for sure that are going to go. We'll see who else expands. I mean, Christy Nome is thinking about it. When I asked her that on television two weeks ago, I was shocked that she said a little early, haven't really decided yet, as opposed to, no, I've got my hands full in South Dakota. So I thought, man, that, that is interesting that she'd be, that she'd be uh, still thinking about it because she's very – the Donald Trump factor. It's not as if you can get in and not understand that a lot of these people that watched their careers rise did it because they were close with Trump. I mean, the Mitt Romney's of the world, the Liz Cheney of the world, whether you like them or not, uh, they hit their head on the ceiling. They weren't going to get any bigger in the party. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm intrigued by it. But on the other side, what Donald Trump said, he said a bunch of intriguing things last night with Tucker. But when he was asked about uh, what I thought was interesting is when he was asked about Joe Biden running again, he does not believe that Biden can do it at all. I mean, here's an example of uh, of what he was saying last night. Cut 27. He's now in Ireland. He's not going to have a news conference. When the world is exploding, I own property in Ireland. 
I'm not going to Ireland. The world is exploding around us. You could end up in a third world war, and this guy's going to be in Ireland and not having a news conference. He hasn't had a news conference, I guess, in months. So he does not think he's running. So interesting. I mean, most everybody thinks he's running. Kaylee McEnany weighed in on that. He's like, listen, she, he's definitely running. But um, Donald Trump is going to be running regardless. He's indicted, convicted, whatever. He's not going to stop. So we'll see. Tim, Here's Tim Scott making his announcement, kind of announcement today. Cut 24. Pains my soul to see the Biden liberals attacking every rung of the ladder that helped me climb. If the radical left gets their way, millions more families will be trapped in failing schools, crime-ridden neighborhoods, and crushing inflation. Not on my watch. That's why I'm announcing my exploratory committee for president of the United States. And he is in, just like that. So I want to see if Donald Trump is going to say welcome aboard like he did Nikki Haley, or is he going to say, Tim Scott, so ungrateful. How dare he? I, he was a nobody in, in South Carolina. I made him big time. I brought him into the White House, introduced him to all these important people, made sure he got reelected. I endorsed him. I don't. I, and no, I, and I think one of the theories, he won't do that. It's very tough to go after Tim Scott. You thought it was hard going after Ben Carson? Just same thing going after Tim Scott. He's just a nice guy. Governor Huckabee, same thing. Hard going after them. It's easy going after John McCain and Mitt Romney because they're fighting you. The other thing is, the theory goes that the more people get in, the more it is, the better it is for Donald Trump, who's up by about 20 points in all these other polls. One thing also, Ronald McDaniel made clear, if you do not pledge the support to nominee, you will not get on the debate stage. So what will happen? Will Donald Trump, who didn't pledge the support to nominee last time, change the way he does things? Interesting, right? I, I'm, I'm pretty interested. I will, I will know this. That uh, since Trump's been indicted, things seems to have calmed down since there's no big meetings with white supremacists or with Kanye West uh, at lunch. No more revelations about phone calls, tapes, all the damage has been done with Mar-a-Lago and beyond. Trump's numbers have gone up. Interesting revelations. You know, the DA, Merrick Garland, the AG just had to, had to, could not wait any longer to get those documents from Mar-a-Lago. Could not wait. He got 15 boxes right away. He got a few more after and said, no, we got to raid the place. And when asked, the White House said, we're shocked. We're shocked about the classified intelligence that was there. Were you? Well, it turns out you weren't shocked about the raid and you weren't shocked about the intelligence because it looks as though, according to a Freedom of Information Act request, you knew the whole time. The question is, how extensive? Are you the one that called 1-800-Merrick-Garland and said, Merrick, which is a weird name, by the way, to actually say that, Merrick Raid it. Raid the place. Let's make that the distraction. Little did Joe Biden know he'd also have classified documents. Kind of neutralize that story a little. Rich Lowry next. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi. Impressive carrying skills, right? I got some Bud Lights for us. So, I kept hearing about this thing called March Madness, and I thought we were all just having a hectic month, but it turns out it has something to do with sports. And I'm not sure exactly which sport, but either way, it's a cause to celebrate. 
This month, I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood, and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. So that is the can on her face on it that's plummeting Budweiser, Bud Light across this country and Anheuser-Busch products. Why would Dylan Mulvaney be worthy of being a spokesperson for a beer? Number one, why is she pretending she doesn't know what March Madness is or he? Why is this person somebody that Budweiser says, instead of the Clydesdales or a muscular athlete or a dynamic female soccer a soccer star, why not go for Dylan Mulvaney? Who, why, I don't even know if Dylan Mulvaney drinks beer. Well, it angers a lot of people. Travis Trick goes, I'm done with this. John Rich says, forget this. Uh, Kid Rock shoots the cans in his backyard. Rich Lowry wrote about this and his whole transgenderism, how they're destroying women's sports, and people are just afraid to speak out about it. Rich is not afraid to write about it and hopefully talk about it. Editor of Natural Review. We also got to get him to weigh in on this expanding Republican field. Rich, welcome back. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, the Bud Light thing is incredible. The uh, Fox website had excellent report on just the plummeting sales last week. Even in a, a bar in Hell's Kitchen, you know, that's not Red America. Bud Light sales were down 60%. And an anecdote about this dart league that's sponsored by Bud Light, where the guys during their dart competition usually consume three kegs of Bud Light, and only like four four cans were consumed. <laughs> and some, an expert was quoted saying, when, when you have a, a disastrous week like that, you don't make it up during the course of the year. So this this even if it bounces back immediately, which it won't, it's going to hurt their uh, overall sales annually. So this was a disastrous marketing choice. Uh, but And why did they do it? What did you discover why they did it? Why, why, well, would, why would this corporation acquiesce to this the vp for marketing is uh big on inclusion right and you know that, that doesn't mean including any of the the people or types of people you mentioned it means going to the most fashionable radical trans person who can be found on tiktok which is dylan mulvaney and both the new york post and the daily mail did good reports on this over the weekend the human rights campaign this uh, uh pro-gay advocacy group runs this rating corporate rating for inclusivity and they all they all want to get a good report card on this rating and you do something like this and it boosts your Rating, so it's why it's not just Bud Light. You know, it's it's Nike, it's Kate Spade, it's a whole host of of others because they they become so-called good corporate citizens according to this group that for whatever reason you know people follow and pay attention to. Alyssa Harshide is the Bud VP, Bud Light VP. Said the brand became uh, became fratty and out of touch and not inclusive. Well, it's a. You know, it's a fratty brand. Uh, when do we drink Bud Light? You know, I drank a lot of it in college. Yes, you know, I wasn't even in a fraternity, but it was just a good, cheap alternative. And then you drink it at sports events. You know, you you drink it at barbecues when you when your friends uh, have it in a cooler there. But it, it's there's substitutes to Bud Light. You know, at the end of the day, there's no reason in particular to to drink Bud Light. You're not drinking it because of the taste, except for it's kind of ubiquitous and you know the brand and it's well known. Uh, otherwise, you know, you can have a Corona. Corona's, you know, more or less indistinguishable, um, and Corona's been catching up. So what what this does is going to motivate all the people that are the base of Bud Light drinkers to say, you know what? 
I'll drink something else. And, you know, if you're Bud Light, uh, the quality of Bud Light, something else is just as good or maybe better. So th- this could be, you know, we'll see sometimes these things pass, but this could be real inflection point for the brand. Uh, it looks like there's only one person. As Let's just uh, play this out. So we know, too, this uh, the CEI system is pushing brands like Nike to do the same thing with Dylan Mulvaney. These are established brands that don't need this. They're trying to find the next Kobe Bryant, the next Michael Jordan. Instead, they do something they know is going to be controversial at the very least mm-hmm. and look for a trans, uh, transgender person. Yeah, and they you know they also figure one maybe no one will notice. I mean that wasn't true of Bud Light obviously, but you know he has Mulvaney has like 10 million TikTok followers, so maybe he can do kind of micro marketing that that reaches those 10, those 10 million people and that doesn't hurt you elsewhere. Again, that that hasn't happened with uh, Bud Light. And then um, they they some of the brands just figure the controversy is good because if you want young consumers who tend to be more progressive. It might help you if, if Kid Rock is, is blowing up your product because he's mad because um, you want people who are not into Kid Rock. Again, with Bud Light, that is absolutely not true. And, and the thing about Mulvaney, he was on Price, Price is Right when he was still a, a man, um, and he acted exactly the same as, as he does now when he's supposedly a girl. And I underline the word act because no, no gay person you know would have – would be as flamboyant as this nationally. It just doesn't happen. So it's it's an act. It's a it's a put on. Um, and teenage there are lots of admirable teenage girls out there who, who accomplished amazing things or have overcome difficulties. Why don't we lift some of them up instead of of lifting up this guy who who acts like a stereotype of a girl? I hey listen I agree. But let's transpose that to sports now. Now we understand this pushback with forty athletes, female athletes saying don't have a transgender ban when it comes to competition, uh, two of which are Megan Rapino uh, and I believe Becky Sauerbronn, and they're saying let them play, really? They would get crushed by any mm-hmm. decent male soccer player knocking yep. a worthy female off a roster in basketball, soccer, yep. any major or minor sport. And what about the Division Two that gets you know 200 people at a game? They're now going to be losing their spots to somebody yep. who wants to be a different gender. How does this play out, Rich? Are we making too much of something that doesn't happen much, or are you surprised about how people are digging in? Well, um, it's it's you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the women's soccer team, national team, which was you know excellent uh, several years ago, played an exhibition against a, a guy's high school team and lost. Right? And yep. that's not because the, our, our women soccer players weren't excellent women soccer players. It's just because men's bodies are, are different and, and stronger and more powerful, just inherently. So you set up set up the situation that we've seen, you know, in swimming, and powerlifting, in bike racing, where a, a mediocre man can instantly become a, a star and a dominant player when he's playing with women, right? So you just don't want that to happen. It's not good for the game. It's not good for um, uh, women. The, the, the women who want to win, you know, if you're a competitor and you're engaged in competitive sports at that level, winning matters to you, and it, and it should. And then scholarships matter to you, and being on the team matters to you, and just knocking everyone down at least a notch to accommodate a, um, a biological male is just wrong. And, and most people feel it as such, but 
you know, the other side is fired by great righteousness on this. The executive order on Title IX is ridiculous at all levels. There's an attempt to portray it as a moderate thing, but it's, it's written in such a way as can make it really hard for schools to exclude males from female um, sports. Uh, so th- this, is, this is just um, – it's insanity. It's, it's madness, and you think it has to stop, but it, it just keeps getting, getting worse. What's keep getting worse is these Pentagon leaks. I've never seen anything like it. Edward Snowden said, I did it. I'm proud of it. I'm going to run to Russia. And he did. Uh, Now we don't know who did this, but we know the damage is great with our allies and our enemies. We've been compromised every way imaginable. Nobody's got a good answer, nor do they find out where this happened. Listen to Michael McCall, cut five. Very uh, damaging uh, to the United States and our allies, essentially given the roadmap if you will, to our uh, strategy in Ukraine against Russia. Uh, whoever did this, uh, in my judgment, is guilty of espionage by giving away our secrets, uh, which will only empower and embolden Chairman Xi in China and Putin in Russia. And just having gotten back from Taiwan, we were circled by, you know, 10 battleships, an aircraft carrier, and uh, 70 fighter jets. It's very serious. Uh, and it's really going to hurt Ukraine, which is— uh, very sad as they're building their counteroffensive in the springtime. And it goes on. I mean, we talk about the, the, the intelligence we got to come out of Russia, UAE teaming of Russia intelligence, disturbing, obviously. But now we know then they know we know uh, Israel, the way we've penetrated to South Korea. This goes on and on. And we're just beginning to get the revelation maps as well as documents. Rich, how damaging is this? Uh, it's very bad, and you know we we spy on allies. <clears throat> that that's just the way the the world works. But you don't want the the allies to know it, right? <laughs> and uh, when it's there in black and white in our own documents, it just it it creates enormous diplomatic problems, intelligence problems in terms of protecting the the sources and methods we need to to carry out these these sort of operations, and just revealing you know what what um, the Ukraine's plans may be in for a spring offensive. It's it's all very bad. Um, and if this person is ever caught, he or she should be um, nailed to the wall. Uh, Yeah, and it just makes us look inept at a time in which we need people who are going to dig in with us. And finally, Francois Macron, uh, Emmanuel Macron goes over to China and makes it clear we're not they're not going to take a stance when it comes to China and the U.S. over Taiwan. Also is open to getting off the U.S. dollar. He's been eviscerated by German foreign minister, Poland, his own uh, press. What's going on here? Well, it's a very traditional French thing. Going, going back to the, the great French statesman Charles de Gaulle, they, they've had this vision of the U.S. being taken down a notch or leaving Europe and then Europe being led by France, you know, which, it, which it was for long, long uh, stretches of, of time prior to the, the 20th and the 21st century. But it's a fantasy. <clears throat> no one in Europe spends enough to, uh, to take care of their own defense. No one in Europe wants to follow uh, France. Um, so it, it's never going to happen, but it's a real bad uh, indicator of the, the state of our alliance and the help we can expect um, if there's a conflict over uh, Taiwan. French foreign policy analyst called it a debacle. A German uh, a minister says it matters where and when you say things because he noticed the intensity of the exercises against Taiwan by China increased after he made those anti-American statements. Uh, their State Department tried to clarify, saying France is not equidistant between the U.S. and China. 
The U.S. is uh, our ally, and we have shared values. But you factor that in with Saudi Arabia, Brazil seemingly having relations with China now, Argentina no longer uh, recognizing Taiwan now. We see uh, Brazil coming off the dollar, at least in transactions with China now. Uh, And we see also uh, with the relationship between China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. This is this is the worst foreign policy results Mm -hmm. in my lifetime. Rich, can you put in perspective? Yeah, it's it's bad. And the the context, though, is you know deeper than just uh, Biden's incompetence, which is a major factor. China is a rich and powerful country and is determined to topple us as the preeminent world power. And this is a they're pressing on this on all fronts, military, economic, diplomatic. Um, So we we need to be taking this extremely seriously. Arguably, it's a, a greater threat than the Soviet Union was because China is is a bigger and more dynamic country than the Soviets uh, were. So this is this is the new Cold War and presumably will be with us for decades. I, we could really unify as a country around a common goal and the president is just MIA. It's almost the zombie White House. No yeah, messaging, based, no based press conferences, nothing uh, and no direction, rudderless. Rich Lowry, the editor of National Review. Thanks so much, Rich. Hey, thanks, Brian. Talk soon. All right, we come back. We open up the phones, one 408 7669 Or if you want to put it in writing, BrianKilme.com. Just click on comments. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Are you saying that uh, you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in 2024? Well, I'll either be rolling egg or you know, being the, the, you know, the guy who's pushing them out. That's right. That's right, Jack. I got big Easter news. Joe Biden can lay eggs. <laughs> Easy pie. No. I push him right out the cloaca, okay? Serve him up scrambled or sit on him for a while, raise a beautiful flock of little baby Joes. Peep, peep, peep. <laughs> Point is, I am mentally fit to once again run for president of the United States. What's going on? Where's Jill? Marco, Jello. So when Stephen Colbert goes after you as president of the United States and not just saying, I don't like your policy, but you can't speak. Put together a line. You don't answer questions. You don't even answer shouted questions. You have five major issues if you're president of the United States and you don't want to answer those questions. Then you shouldn't be president of the United States. Why are you wasting everybody's time? Don't even pretend to want to run again. You're not doing the job now. Part of doing your job is communicating directly and indirectly with the American people. You're not communicating with our friends, our allies. You're not trying to, as we could tell, uh, assuage them after these massive leaks. So for me... This is not a style. This is just a decision. And I think it's an insult to the people that put him there and a country that he's supposed to be leading. Listen to what Donald Trump said about him. Cut 27. He's now in Ireland. He's not going to have a news conference. When the world is exploding, I own property in Ireland. I'm not going to Ireland. The world is exploding around us. You could end up in a third world war, and this guy's going to be in... Ireland and not having a news conference. He hasn't had a news conference, I guess, in months. And and that's not okay. Uh, last night, of course, the president of the United States had a long, it's going to be more tonight, I think, 
uh, with Tucker Carlson. A long conversation. You got a chance to hear uh, where he stood on these issues, especially since his indictment. He went on to talk about who else could get in the race. He does not think that Biden will run. But listen to what else he thinks. Cut 28. Obviously, the one that they uh, would talk about would be the vice president, Kamala. Uh, That would be the one that they talk about. But I don't think she's performed well on the big stage. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. But there are a certain group of people that will go crazy if it's not her. They're going to go very, they're going to be very angry if it's not her. That's a problem. Uh, You have a very ambitious guy in California, but he's done a terrible job with the state. I used to get along great with him, you know, when I was president. I had along, you know, got along really good. I just keep thinking of the guy that impersonated him on Saturday Night Live. I used to like him. He used to like me. He does a very good job. He does a good, uh, terrible, uh, terrible governor. Uh, so he was very relaxed last night. I think he was anxious to talk. You know, he got off track a couple of times, got his point of view. I will say his policies, his foreign policy look a lot better every day than the guy that was supposed to bring some normalcy and some stability, normalcy and some stability back to the world stage where people would recognize the diplomats and recognize the State Department heads and would recognize the ambassadors and certainly recognize Joe Biden's been doing the same thing for 50 years. But the relationships aren't there. You see people mocking him in his age. He's over in Ireland right now. He gave the sleepiest remarks ever, incomprehensible. And as Jackie Heinrich told us yesterday, they say they're commemorating 25 years since the Friday Agreement. But they're not helping things by saying they want a united Ireland. That doesn't help our relationship with England. He met with the English uh, prime minister. I guess that was good. But they want a free trade agreement. So the fact they didn't get one isn't good. So now he's going to give a speech in Dublin. Not take any questions. To me, you need a leader. We should debate what the leadership principles are and their messages, not where they are. We're debating where they are. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, so we have a big hour coming your way. A lot to discuss. The President of the United States, if you're looking for him at the White House, don't. He has gone from Belfast, Northern Ireland, meeting with the Prime Minister of England. Now he's in Dublin, where he'll make another incomprehensible speech. Uh, we'll find out where he stands. We're also going to speak to Neil uh, Chattery, uh, the former chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission under President Trump. We know about the big announcement that got extremely strict uh, emission standards who are going to, he they believe, hamstring the gas-powered engine, the combustion engine, and make everybody in America get an electric car. Right now, only 5% of you do. Will that work? Vivek Ramaswamy on that, AI, as well as the new debate rules that just been announced on the couch of Fox and Friends by Ronna McDaniel. Don't move. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe we give the voters a choice so that they can decide how we move forward, as opposed to trying to have a conversation about how to beat a Republican. I think we're better off having a conversation about beating Joe Biden. Right. Tim Scott, Exploratory Committee, one step from announcing his candidacy. Trump speaks, a declared candidate, and doubt remains about President Biden's future. One thing is clear. Our next leader will have challenges not faced any president, in my view, since FDR. 
Number two. This is about the unbelievable level of crime we've seen in these these jurisdictions, these urban areas around the country where you have some left-wing prosecutor who thinks it's more important to focus on politics than it is to keep bad guys off the streets and behind bars. And that's true, and that's why Jim Jordan's bringing his investigation into New York and actually get Alvin Bragg into D.C., Investigation intensity. Hunter Biden's business associates flooded the VP office. How about 80 visits? Hunter's witness steps forward, too. He's not going to like that. Alvin Bragg and Jim Jordan brawling in the courts, but get the sense only one understands what he needs to win. Number one. We take this very seriously, and we will continue to investigate and, and turn over every rock until we find the source of this and the extent of it. There were somewhere in the web, and where exactly and who had access uh, at that point, uh, we, we don't know. They don't know, and uh, Lloyd Austin should know. He doesn't. A week after finding out there's been a massive leak, the damage overwhelming, the origins unknown, and worse could be yet to come. Allies and enemies are equally outraged. Where's our president? Are in a heritage tour in Ireland. Vivek Ramaswamy joins us now, 2024 GOP presidential candidate, Strive Asset Management founder, author of Nation of Victims. Vivek, if you were the president, would you be on this Irish trip right now? Yeah, you've got to actually keep your eye on the ball. And I think, that Brian, this is just a symptom, a small symptom of the broader failure of the Biden foreign policy agenda is he has his eyes on the wrong place when, in fact, foreign policy, really domestic policy, it's all about prioritization. So you know what? They have their eye off the ball when it comes to China. They'll make up any other foreign policy objective that they need to deflect from the fact that they're not dealing with the real one that actually matters. I think there are some deep-seated cynical reasons that we could use to explain why. But the bottom line is we have a president who I think is increasingly showing that he's unfit for office, and I don't say that lightly. I say that with sympathy towards him as a human being for being deputized the way he is by his handlers. But we need a president in the White House right now, now more than ever, who can actually lead with authority on the global stage, not to be waving like a flag in whatever direction the wind blows him on a given day. And Vivek, it's so bad. And in my view, it's terrible. It's not so much you say, well, I disagree with this person. You say, where is this person? What can they get a sentence out? So I was surprised President Trump said this last night to Tucker about Joe Biden. Do you think Biden will stay in the race? Look, uh, I, I watch him just like you do. And I think it's almost inappropriate for me to say it. But I deal with other people. I don't see, I don't see how it's possible. And it's not an age thing, but there's something wrong. I saw his answer today on television about whether or not he was going to run to a very nice guy named Al Roker. I mean, you can't get a softer question than that. That was a long answer of talking about the eggs and the this and that. Look, I don't think he can. But say what you want. What do you think, Vivek? I think it's about right. It's, it's impossible to believe that this man is actually running to lead the president of the United, as the president of the United States. But here's the deeper trick that that reveals, Brian. We think we're electing the person who runs the government. The real farce with the administrative state and the deep state as exists today is the people we elect to run the government, they're not the ones who run the government anyway. It's the permanent administrative bureaucracy, including the one that sits under Joe Biden now, which, by the way, overlaps with a lot of the same people who sat under Donald Trump, who then sat under Obama, who then sat under you know, George Bush, right? It's a permanent state that actually runs the show. 
And so in some way, Joe Biden is the example that reveals that farce for what it is. It was always a farce that the people we elect to run the government were the ones actually making policy. But the fact that now you have somebody who's actually, I would say, demonstrably mentally incapacitated in the White House now reveals the essence of what's going on. So John Fetterman can be a U.S. senator just as Joe Biden can be the president of the United States, when in fact the real farce is what we really need is to dismantle an administrative state that thinks it's the one in charge. That's part of why I'm running for president, to actually be a president who who would have ever thought actually runs the country and runs the executive branch. Who's healthy. No, no, number one, you're healthy. So I'm, Thankfully, and, mercifully so, Brian. I'm 37. I'm the first millennial candidate ever to run, but it's not right. an age thing. I agree with Trump on that. It's just a presence thing, and I think that that's something we need. Senator Feinstein and Senator Fetterman are invisible. Now, they're Democrats, and it's really balanced a lot of these confirmation things and a lot of these bills in the Senate. Nobody talks about it, but they're incapacitated. One depression, one is – it might be Alzheimer's. So they're, they're – pre- they're pre- and now think about this. If you're if – you're, you have two independents in Senator Sinema and Senator uh, August King, and then you got two people who basically are not even in their seats. How is this allowed? Well, I think that the reason it's allowed is that this is actually what the Democratic Party wants. It's just like they want to exert control over the rest of the population. They'd rather exert most control over the people who are also sitting in Congress and the U.S. Senate. Kristen Sinema, she's more of a danger, right? She's an independent thinker. She can decide to disaffiliate from the Democratic Party. But if you have somebody who's literally suffering from a mental illness or Alzheimer's disease or hospitalized for depression, great. That's a vote that you can just check the box on because you know they're just going to go in whatever direction they're controlled. And so in some ways, it's a deeper analogy for the way they view citizens of this country. In fact, you might as well have some of them even be U.S. senators who are easy just pawns to be able to be moved on a chessboard to advance a devious agenda. That's what's going on in the Democratic Party today. Vivek Ramaswamy, I guess. Ronna McDaniel on our couch today to make a big announcement on Fox and Friends. And she made the announcement about the debate. There'll be a debate in August. Fox will carry it. Rumble will also carry it. And the Young America's Foundation will advertise it and, and stream it. Here's what she said about the debate. Uh, here's what she said about the debate. Cut 22. We'll put the criteria out soon. I mean, we don't know how many candidates there are going to be, so that'll dictate if there's one or two stages. Mm -hmm. Right now, I don't see there being two stages, but I could be wrong on that. It's just the field's forming later than usual. Will you do the whole thing where the person with the most, uh, with the highest polling gets the middle? I'm not going to say yet. I'm going to work with our debate committee, but I think that makes sense that the person who's polling the highest. She went on. She went on to talk about the criteria about the polling. But right now, I think it's going to be a situation where everyone gets on the same stage. Uh, it looks like to join you, Mike Pence, Chris Christie. Uh, it looks like Mike Pompeo is having second thoughts, believe it or not, despite his book sales. And then you have Tim Scott, who made the announcement today. Cut twenty. Make the announcement of exploratory committee uh, today. Cut twenty-five. The field of play is focusing on President Biden's failures. What Americans want to see is the contrast between the radical left and the blueprint to ruin America and why our policies actually work. I believe that Psalms 139 tells us that we are all uniquely and fearfully made. If we focus on our uniqueness, we focus on our path to where we are, I believe we give the voters a choice on so that they can decide how we move forward, as opposed to trying to have a conversation about how to beat a Republican. I think we're better off having a conversation about beating Joe Biden.
So your thoughts about the expanding field and the first debate criteria? So, look, I think the good news, Brian, for us is that we're going to be on that debate stage, and I think we're actually doing really well in the early states. I started at 0%. Most recently in New Hampshire, there were some state-level polls in New Hampshire and some of the early states where I'm now in third or fourth in a short amount of time. So it's less from a self-interested perspective. But I think for the party, I think it would be good if, if they did come out with those criteria you know, sooner than later. I also think that it's a, I, want to, I want to pay compliment because sometimes I've been critical of the Republican Party. I think partnering with the Young America Foundation I think is actually a good move because one of the things we haven't done well enough in the Republican Party and movement is focus on the next generation of Americans. And you know what? We need to create that national identity, not for the people who are mostly voting in the Republican primary, who tend to be older, but to bring in the next generation if we're going to have a country left. My generation, millennials, people younger than me, Gen Z, that's actually who we need to focus on. That's who I'm focused on, my kids' generation. Create a national identity for them, and I'm glad to see – I think this was even just a small step, but it shows me that at least the Republican Party is beginning to think about that next generation. And one of the things I'm incredibly focused on, Brian, is not just the youngest person in the race, but more importantly, somebody who's focused on reviving national identity – is to fill that need for purpose that so many young Americans have. And I think we in the Republican Party and the conservative movement can actually rise to the occasion and deliver a vision of what it means to be American that's an alternative to wokeness. So how do you feel about what Rand Paul said? If you want to get the younger vote, you need to not ban TikTok. And the president, in my view, irresponsibly opening up possibly an office for TikTok influencers where do you stand knowing you just said we got to get the Republicans got to get the youth vote? Well, I've got I've got a, uh, a two part view on this. One is I'm against the Restrict Act. I think that China it's is terrible. a dangerous influence. They're co-opting companies. And so I think we got to We got to recognize that threat. But we can't make the same mistake we made in this country in the wake of 9-11 creating an ever-expanding police state that empowers the federal government to abuse that police state every day. So I stand even – I defect from any Republicans on this. I'm against the Restrict Act, and I, and I don't apologize for that position. However, I have a different view, Brian, also when it comes, though, to how we apply social media in kids versus adults. We live in a free country. That's true. And so adults should be able to make free whatever choices they want to make, even if they're the wrong choices. That's what freedom means. However, kids are not the same as adults, and so we tell kids in this country they can't get a tattoo till the age of 18. They can't smoke an addictive cigarette till the age of 18. I think if we're applying that standard even-handedly, I don't think you should be able to use an addictive social media product by the age of 12 or 13 either, which has far more brain damage even than smoking an addictive cigarette does. And so that's where I come down on protecting children. I'm in favor of banning genital mutilation and puberty blockers and chemical castration, and for that matter, damaging social media in young children. I think that's a different position than saying that adults should be free to make decisions as they should, and the federal government shouldn't be creating this do you registry. Think, but from what you know about tech, do you believe that, this, that, that TikTok is a spying opportunity to gather information for the Chinese? I think the reality is – I think it is an opportunity to do that, Brian, but I'm going to also call it straight. The Chinese use opportunities all the time. I think that TikTok in some ways we've over-fetishized just that one product without realizing that this is a tactic they use across the board. I mean even Airbnb – not a lot of people know this, Brian. Airbnb is a condition for doing business in China. I'm not kidding. It was reported in the Wall Street Journal a couple years ago. It's in my book. They are actually handing over user data of American users, even the private messages. 
that a guest sends to a host on Airbnb, the geolocational data, that's handed over to the CCP as a condition for Airbnb getting to expand their market opportunity there. So in some sense, TikTok has become this lightning rod. It's just an example of a deeper issue relating to how China treats U.S. companies as geopolitical pawns that we need to address. And I think the separate issue of social media relates to addiction issues and mental health issues in pre-teens. So those issues need to be dealt with separately. But I think that people tend to be sloppy, especially in Washington, D.C., and then just pass an overreaching Mm. restrict act, which conflates those two separate justifications. I'm telling you, I think I'm in a hyper universe, like a, like a, a separate reality because I'm seeing the idiocy of allowing trans athletes to play with uh, women, these men that want to be women, and uh, and and 40 women right now. Let's let's do that. Let's let the, these trans men compete with women. When we see the brutality, as in combat sports, and we see what's happening with the U Penn swimmer, and then we see by Bud Light give some influencer their own can to commemorate 365 days as a woman instead of a man. And huge backlash. Where do you stand on this whole trans movement? I've been very clear on this. I'm saying what other politicians I think are afraid to say, Brian. It's the truth. If you think your gender is different than your biological sex, that's usually a sign of a mental health disorder. Transgenderism is usually a mental health disorder, full stop, and we need to treat it that way. You need to help people. These are people, especially kids, crying in need of needing mental help. Instead, we're actually affirming their confusion. That is not compassion. It is cruelty. And it is spreading like a mental health epidemic across this country, including amongst children. This is a form of American cruelty to the next generation of Americans. And I think that we have this culture of fear that stops you know, many politicians, even Republicans, from being able to say that out loud. We need to actually treat transgenderism as what it is. It's always been treated this way for most of U.S. history Mm -hmm. as a mental health disorder. And then what we need to do is actually figure out what else is going wrong in the lives of these kids rather than saying that because they say we do surgery or chemically castrate them. I only have a few uh, only a minute left. But the CEI system, this whole uh, system where Mm -hmm. people get credit for being uh, corporate equity indexes. Do you believe that's real? And why are corporations like Bud Light responding to it? Of course it's real. It's just the latest three-letter acronym, though. We went from DEI to CEI. All of them are subsets of the S-prong of ESG, another three-letter acronym. But the reality is large asset managers and financial institutions are using ESG, and this is all a subset of ESG, to advance an agenda that effectively the politicians couldn't get done through the front door. And why are they doing it? Because pension funds and blue states are making them. There's no issue he can't handle. Vivek Ramaswamy, thanks so much. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. What I brought to that was a belief in, okay, what is what, do, what does evolve and elevate mean? It means inclusivity. It means shifting the tone. It means having a campaign that's truly inclusive and feels lighter and brighter and different and appeals to women and to men. Mm-hmm. And representation is at sort of the heart of evolution. You've got to see people who reflect you in the work. And we had this hangover. I mean... Bud Light had been kind of a brand of fratty, kind of out of touch humor. And it was really important (laughs) that we had another approach. 
That is the idiotic explanation for the stupid decision to put Dylan Mulvaney on the can of Bud Light by a vice president who clearly had a lot to do with it, Elisa Hershide. Fratty, uh, outdated humor. Okay. Talk about generalities to alienate everybody in a frat in America. You just used it. And maybe go sell it, put it in a positive aspect. So maybe start supporting pickleball uh, leagues or USFL games or get uh, be a part of a, a very creative campaign like the old Miller Lite commercials that utilize the Justin Beavers of the world. Uh, maybe you go, you get a superstar to endorse your product. Why would you get somebody unworthy who pretends they don't even know basketball to get their own can? You see the results. People are running from your can of beer. Running. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Today, I'm signing an executive order setting out a target of 50% of all passenger vehicles sold by 2030 will be electric and set in motion on all-out effort. We are proposing a blue-collar blueprint to rebuild America. That's what it's going to be. And we need automakers and other companies to keep investing in America. We need them not to take the benefits of our public investments and expand electric vehicles and battery manufacturing production abroad. Wow. Uh, And then it got worse than that. They're doing everything they can to make uh, every vehicle on the road electric. Right now, 5% is, and they're trying to put their hand on the scale. Neil Chatterjee joins us now, former chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission under President Trump. Neil, uh, the Biden administration is turning up the heat on auto manufacturers. Is he doing the right thing? Uh, Thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, No, when he was vice president under President Obama, they tried a similar thing in the electric power sector, which I oversaw at FERC, where they pushed EPA regulations designed to push power generators away from traditional power towards cleaner sources of energy. And it's completely backfired and led to higher electricity costs. Uh, as well as compromising electric reliability. Same thing's going to happen here. There's so much work that needs to be done to have Americans ready to transition to electric vehicles. And just using government regulations, the heavy hand of the EPA, to try and force adoption of electric vehicles, it's never going to work. So the pressure on the auto manufacturers to get have a zero electric uh, – they say the president's making an entrance into General Motors – Uh, as well as Ford and others, to set up separate plants just for electric vehicles. And they're putting the emission standards so strict, it's going to make it cost prohibitive to buy it. Gas power. It's going to be be cost prohibitive to buy gas-powered cars, which they're trying to dictate behavior. And again, that's not market-driven. Let the market dictate the terms of how consumers approach this. Look, consumers want electric vehicles. Sure. Uh, they're, they're exciting. They're interesting. But they got to be able to afford them. They got to have the infrastructure in place to charge them and run them. And oh, by the way, we need to have a domestic supply chain in place so we don't find ourselves in a position where we're reliant upon the Chinese Communist Party for the power for the fuel that will drive these electric vehicles. Yeah, that, they say they're going to put 500,000 charging stations in, but uh, those 500,000 charging stations, uh, it's going to take some time to put them in. Uh, meanwhile, you have a situation where these are heavily subsidized to begin with, 
And now the more taxpayer dollars are going to go for this transition. And he wants 50% of all cars to be electric by 2030. Right now it's at only 5%. And where do we get the batteries? Where do we get the rare earth to make the batteries? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Look, this administration has not done nearly enough to encourage domestic mining and or even sourcing from our allies to help wean us off of the Chinese Communist Party uh, and our dependence on them for critical minerals and, and rare earths to make these EVs. Uh, here, I'm, I'm talking about minerals like lithium and nickel and cobalt. Uh, it went so far as we had a mining project in Minnesota, Minnesota, that would have taken a step toward helping our domestic supply chain for these minerals and the Biden administration blocked it just in January. Uh, it's unbelievable. Look, I- I'm all for reducing emissions, and you know, uh, I- I'm excited about the possibility of electric vehicles. But we have to do this in a smart way. You can't separate climate policy from energy security and national security and economic security. This just feels very politically heavy-handed and is not in the interest of American consumers. So here's a story from Texas from a high-ranking official wrote me and says, Brian, I saw your story on the EVs. A big box retailer told him that Tesla put in free charging stations at his store. He told him if four Teslas are charging at the same time for 20 minutes, they use as much power as the entire 50,000 square foot store for the same 20 minutes. Car dealers tell me an EV used car will plummet in value because a battery lasts five years and costs $25,000. Who is going to buy a used car when the battery has to be replaced for $25,000? The EVs will never be met. Charging stations are only planned for major roads. You get off the main road, you're in big trouble. Have you heard all that? All of it. I mean, look, we're just not ready for this transition yet. What happens if you live in an urban environment and you don't have a garage or your workplace doesn't have a a spot for you to plug in and charge your vehicle? What happens if you live in a rural community and you drive long, long distances? And if the charging infrastructure isn't in place, how are you going to deal with that range anxiety? And then on the environmental front, look, EVs don't last as long as traditional uh, combustion engine vehicles, and the the emissions that will come from manufacturing EVs are pretty significant. So if you're only driving an electric vehicle for five years and you could drive a, a, a typical gas vehicle for eight or ten, and you're buying twice as many cars during that period of time, I, I think there's an argument to be made that that's actually worse for the environment. So they say if these regulations come through, I'll finalize. A staggering 67% of new sedan crossover SUVs and light truck purchases will be, could be electric by 2032. The White House says in addition up to 50% of bus and garbage trucks, 35% of short-haul freight, freight tractors, and 25% of long-haul freight tractor purchases could be electric by them. He, please, he previously said a goal of 50% of car purchases by 2030. So he's uh, picking up the pace. But he's not playing it out. Does he know our national security is going to be compromised because we don't want to make the commitment on rare earth? Does he know that manufacturing, which he keeps saying he wants to bring back home, this will license our main source of of uh, domestic transportation to China? I mean, he's also not factoring in what the implications are going to be for our electricity to really increase the the, uh, deployment of electric vehicles in this way, it's going to put a lot of strain on the grid, which is already being pushed by his other 
environmental regulations. So it's not just about our dependence on the Chinese Communist Party. It's not just about the fact that we don't have a ready infrastructure in the U.S. to make this big transition to electric vehicles today. It's also going to test the reliability of the power that comes to our homes and businesses. Yeah, they say the overall, the average cost of an EV, uh, Neil, is $64,338. Well, the average cost of a compact gas power car, 26000 So if we decide to put our hand on the scale and, and even that out, how many, how many more times do taxpayers have to subsidize this industry before it's able to exist on its own? As Chip Roy said, uh, President Biden's radical EPA is trying to regulate your car's engine into oblivion. Enough energy fantasies. Final thought? Yeah, look, I don't like the idea of government and regulators putting their fingers on the scale and trying to pick and choose winners and losers amongst different technologies or, or, or different you know, commodities. Let the market decide. Let consumers determine what they want. If consumers want EVs and there's enough demand for them and the prices come down, then maybe they'll be more affordable and there'll be more of them out there. But for the government to come in and try and force consumers to adopt EVs, uh, I'm sorry, that's a recipe for disaster. How much does the fact that the quality of our air has risen so predominantly and the, and the, the carbons decrease so significantly have to do with the rise of natural gas and fracking? Uh, it, it's huge. Uh, the natural gas has really enabled the uh, increased deployment of renewables in this country. Renewables and their intermittency are offset by the fact that you can ramp up and ramp down natural gas to meet that. Natural gas has been the driving force that has led to decarbonization in the U.S. power sector. And oh, by the way, U.S. liquefied natural gas exports are saving Europe right now and the environment because they're displacing dirty Russian natural gas and lowering carbon emissions. Natural gas has been amazing for the U.S. And I don't know why this administration just can't come out and outright admit that. Neil Chatterjee, thanks so much. Former chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission under President Trump. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, Neil, great job. When we come back, it's your turn. one 7669 We're still trying to make sense of what happened with the Pentagon leaks. We know that's not a hack. So that, I guess, is good news. We see the paperwork. We see the pictures. We see the diagrams. We see the maps. That's all out there. More could be coming out. But we just found out about troops on the ground in Ukraine has to be disturbing. And guess what? Admiral Kirby is trying to put out the fire before it starts. We'll discuss it when we come back and take your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we're back. I got a few minutes here. Uh, we noticed that if you're looking for the President of the United States, he went from Belfast where he made some incomprehensible comments and then went to Dublin. The only thing worse than the President trying to speak at the Easter egg roll is the President trying to speak after uh, jet lag. So it really, I mean, he's just whispering his way through. Meanwhile, you got these stories of the Pentagon Papers. They have gotten out these charts and these graphs and these intelligence uh, that's going on. As Admiral Kirby came out and just said, and I'll play this before I get to the phones, Admiral Kirby just came out and said, and believe me, this was a preventive move, 
we're not supposed to have troops on the ground. But I do want to find out what happens to our money. So what do you do about that? Because we give all the arms and all the money to follow up. Evidently, we do have troops on the ground. And it is now for everyone to know. And Admiral Kirby uh, just said this to our own Peter Ducey. Cut three. Something in these documents uh, reveals that there are U.S. special forces inside of Ukraine. Has there been a change to the U.S. force posture there? There has been no change to the president's uh, mandate that there will not be American troops in Ukraine fighting in this war. Uh, I won't talk to the specifics of numbers and that kind of thing, but to get to your exact question, uh, there is a small U.S. military presence at the embassy in conjunction with the defense attache's office to help us work on accountability uh, of the material that uh, is going in and out of Ukraine. Uh, so they're attached to that embassy into that d- defense attache office. And for clarity, that's they are in the embassy in Ukraine, but they are not fighting. That is right. They are okay. not fighting on the battlefield. You know they're training because the only thing they do uh, maybe uh, almost as good as fighting is training. So that is in the papers. And that's it could get worse from here. Uh, Rich is listening in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Hey, Rich, listen on WDBO. Hey, good morning, Brian. Hey, uh, about the EVs, you know, here in Florida, we got condos and apartments all over the place. And I was wanting to mention that, you know, usually they none of them I have seen with I haven't seen any with charging stations. But could you imagine what it takes to build that? And then, um, I mean, you can't even wash your car half the time at a. There's only one car wash. How are you going to have EV connections for charging stations? So pretty interesting. I don't know. Well, how we put the money aside to build the, the to build the charging stations, but with the grids overwhelmed, and now we all see vulnerable. We saw what happened. Think about this. Remember when the uh, the uh, governor Governor Gavin Newsom comes out and says, "No more. I'm not going to build any more gas stations, and in five years, I'm going to stop selling gas cars." The next day. They had rolling blackouts, and he was telling people, don't charge your electric cars. So we are not ready for this. We we don't have the infrastructure. We don't know how to make – we don't have the material to make the batteries. Why are you jeopardizing national security for your own political agenda to make John Kerry happy? Jim was on WABC. Hey, Jim. Hey, Brian. Love the show, Brian. Thank you. Listen, Brian, I wish we would all just stop saying – What is he thinking? Does he know? Why does he do this? Joe Biden is not in control of what's going on and the decisions that are being made, Brian. Joe Biden is just a mannequin sitting behind the desk. He is there, put there either by the FBI, the DOJ, or whoever is running the shots in the background. He's desperately trying to keep himself, his brother, and his son out of jail. When they say, how could Jill watch his husband do this? It's because she doesn't want them in jail. We have to come to the realization that this man is not running this country. Well, a couple of things. Uh, I think that he roughly sets the Democratic agenda, takes his marching orders from the left in the middle. But in terms of implementing, we don't even see Iran clean implementing. So I don't even see bad decisions. I'm seeing no decisions. A country just was bumbling along. Desperate need for some direction and uh, reassurance, something to criticize. I mean, the reason why you don't really criticize Joe Biden so much is because you never even see him. He wouldn't even take a question. His secretary of state is absolutely awful. His secretary of defense can't get a sentence out without some type of verbal pause. And and now 
He is re- memorizing something like he's a press secretary. We take these breaches very seriously. No kidding you take it serious. Our national intelligence is at stake. Our reputation's out there. And in terms of what Hunter's looking at, was revealed yesterday, and check out foxnews.com, that Hunter Biden's business partners visited the vice president's office when he was with President Obama 80 times. Eric Sherwin, 27. John Mayer, VP of Rosemont Seneca, 17. John Walker, partner of Rosemont Seneca, 16. Katie Dodge, personal assistant, 9. Francis Person, longtime assistant, 7. Anne-Marie Person, Hunter's assistant, 5. Devin Archer, too, and it goes down the list. And guess what I think is extremely damning? Mike McCormick comes out. The former White House stenographer accuses the Bidens of a kickback scheme with Ukraine. They said they can't get the FBI's attention. You believe this? Joe Biden committed crimes on Ukraine in a conspiracy with current National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan all over the Russia hoax. I'm a witness to this happening. They've been looking at Hunter Biden with his ties to Joe Biden and Sullivan into promoting a kickback scheme when you, with Ukraine. It's the timeline that does him in. They don't want to talk about that, obviously. Uh, Don, listening in Ohio. Hey, Don. Hello, yeah. Here, here's my question. Everybody should read this book, Hot Talk, Cold Science, when it was wrote and shows all this is political on this solar stuff, energy. Now, why don't they take pictures of Biden's house, both houses? None of them have solar pa- solar panels on it. And then how, how's he telling us what to do? I know. That's a good point. I don't see any solar panels. I, absolutely. He has this gas-powered 1960-something Corvette. Remember where he keeps his classified documents? Well, that's so he can get away. He, he's made pretty smart. He puts the documents right there to throw in a vehicle so he can leave the country. Right. That's what he's thinking. Like a bootlegger. But on the other thing, people did not talk about the virus and the shutdown. Your soap opera stayed on. They shut down for two weeks, Christmas scenes, bedroom scenes, everything else without a mask. Why did everybody – that slip by everything with right. people. Go get them, Don. The soap operas did not have masks. Is that true, Allison? You don't, you don't know? I can't confirm. You can't confirm? All right. Jackson uh, is in Oklahoma City, listening on the Eagle. Hey, Jackson. Hey, how you doing today? Good. What's in your mind? Hey, you know, honestly, uh, one of the other callers called in, and he's exactly right. You know, everybody talks about how, you know, Biden is, you know, somehow doing all the things. He's not. It's everybody else's is they're pulling the strings behind the curtain. They're making everything happen. And anything that goes wrong, they have Biden that goes out and kind of mumbles around, and he walks off. He's not accountable for any of it. It's everybody else. All right. Uh, good point. I know if who's not running it, there's no Ron Klain there. there I, maybe Susan Rice is. Who knows? People have theorized, but I've never seen his fingerprints. Barack Obama is. Uh, Joe writes me, or John McCormick writes me and says, uh, my thought is that Joe, uh, uh, Joe to go to uh, Ireland because of the comments he made on St. Patrick's Day about the family not being Irish because they aren't drunk or in jail. <laughs> I did not hear that. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. I can tell you, uh, I was uh, walking on the streets for a few reasons in New York for the first time in a long time. Usually I'm in and I'm out. 
I cannot believe how empty, how many empty stores there are. I'm stunned. I mean, I know the prices are back up with regular residential real estate, but there are so many empty stores, especially downtown. I can't believe this is happening. If they want to know why there are a few billion dollars in deficit, it's because you're not getting revenue from these businesses. And I think a lot has to do with the safety on the streets. What a joke it is. The DNC just announced they're going to have their convention in a place worse than New York, crime-ridden Chicago. Why not San Francisco? Why not just get off the plane and just empty your pockets and your bags? Because that's what's going to happen to you. Although they'll probably flood the, flood the streets with cops and private security to make sure Chicago has a fake good look. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe we give the voters a choice so that they can decide how we move forward, as opposed to trying to have a conversation about how to beat a Republican. I think we're better off having a conversation about beating Joe Biden. But I know, Tim Scott, you're going to have to directly go at President Trump at one point. 2024, Trump speaks. Tim Scott is in, it seems. And President Biden's future in doubt, according to some. One thing is clear. Our next leader will have the challenges not faced by a president since FDR. Number two. This is about the unbelievable level of crime we've seen in these these jurisdictions, these urban areas around the country where you have some left-wing prosecutor who thinks it's more important to focus on politics than it is to keep bad guys off the streets and behind bars. Investigation intensity. Hunter Biden's business associates flooded the VP office. A Hunter Biden witness steps forward. Alvin Bragg and Jim Jordan brawling it out in the courts. Number one. We take this very seriously, and we will continue to investigate and and turn over every rock until we find the source of this and the extent of it. There were somewhere in the web, and where exactly and who had access uh, at that point, uh, we we don't know. Massive leak, damage overwhelming, origins unknown, worse may be to come. Allies and enemies are outraged. Where is our president on his own personal heritage tour in Ireland? Martha McCallum coming up in about 10 minutes. Mark Thiessen right after that. A heritage tour. I mean, they're supposed to enact the good, they're supposed to mark the Good Friday Agreement. But this is about Joe Biden going back to his roots as some type of hero. Some type of hero with the, with the Chinese exercises, military exercises over Taiwan. Some type of hero as the Brazilian president goes to visit uh, China. Some type of hero as uh, Emmanuel Macron decides he doesn't want to take sides in the battle between superpowers, the U.S. and China. You see what's happening in the Middle East with oil production going down. Inflation continues to go up, according to the latest stat. It's a consistently five up 5% year to year. And the President of the United States says, you know, I want to get in touch with my roots. Fresh off a five-day vacation in the Ukraine, excuse me, in Camp David. What a joke that is. So let's talk about this uh, this week as we know it. And I'm going to get into it with Martha and Mark Thiessen, but real quick. The Pentagon scrambling to pug up leaks uh, that came to their attention uh, last Wednesday. How long have our documents, our maps, our charts, uh, our intelligence, our communications been out and about in small corners of the web? Since January, they claim 53 documents between February and March, but it's much more than that. It's much longer than that. The Wall Street Journal and New York Times reporting that it's on some obscure website. Uh, that ex- appeared on some obscure website uh, at first, and then it went and went to uh, 4chan, and then it went over to Telegram, and now it is absolutely everywhere. 
They're looking at things like, for example, the UAE deciding, setting up secret deals with Russia. We know about it. Egypt trying to secretly take our money, get our support at the same time, uh, give weaponry to Russia. Then we find out about South Korea reluctant to give ammunition to Ukraine. Israel, in Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu has to overcome perhaps the Mossad working with protesters against the sitting government. You think they want any of that out and about in the public forum? Absolutely not. Here's the CIA director, cut four. That urgent category, the issue that you mentioned, the deeply unfortunate uh, leak of classified documents is, is certainly as intense as anything in that now part of the inbox as well. And, you know, it's something that the U.S. government takes extremely seriously. The Pentagon and the Department of Justice have now launched a quite intense investigation to get to the bottom of this. There's not a whole lot I can add to that at this point with that investigation going on. There's documents from the CIA and DEI, uh, DIA, I should say. You believe this? This is what's out there, but they say it's pages. It's not a hack because they see the physical pages and they think by looking at the pages that are folded in half in some cases, uh, they can find out what printer is printed from. They say between five and 10,000 people have access to some of this top secret documentation. And the fact that it was on a gamer site to begin with, an obscure one to most of us, shows that maybe it was a younger person. But if it was a younger person, it's not even involved in these conversations. Who would be so irresponsible to leave paperwork around to this depth and at this detriment to our national security at a time in which we're looking to consolidate power and consolidate allies against the emerging China threat? Is this the exact wrong time for this to come out? Yes. How about documents that show the Ukraine's details of Ukraine's battle plan to surge against Russia? How about details that show the amount of casualties and lack of rockets to go into missile defense for Ukraine? Pretty bad? Absolutely pretty bad. Here's Jennifer Griffin. Cut two. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin pushed back on reports the classified documents had been online for months, saying the leaks are from February 28th and March 1st. The DOJ-led investigation is focused on a potential human source or mole. New indications suggest whoever leaked the documents may not have worked inside the Pentagon. Some of the documents are highly classified and not easily accessed by most Pentagon officials. Not easily accessed by most Pentagon officials. Doesn't sound like a great system to me uh, on the surface, does it? All right. Uh, let's talk about what some experts are saying about it. Here's um, here's a guy we've interviewed before on the show, uh, Brett Bruin. He said, how the heck are we here again? He's the president of Global Situation Room. He's a national security consulting firm and a former White House official in the Obama administration. Quote, these kind of large-scale security breaches were supposed to be a thing of the past. New controls and checks were put in place after Edward Snowden. Yet, clearly, it wasn't enough. And we need a major rethink and a revision to the classified document process. And off to Ireland goes the President of the United States. Incredible. Real quick, President of the United States, uh, and I'm going to take a break and leave time for Martha. The president, the former President of the United States sat down for an hour, and we've got part two today with Tucker Carlson at Mar-a-Lago. At which time he was asked about Joe Biden, the job he's doing, and his chance at re-election. Listen. Do you think Biden will stay in the race? Look, uh, I, I watch him just like you do. And I think it's almost inappropriate for me to say it. But I deal with other people. 
I don't see I don't see how it's possible. And it's not an age thing, but there's something wrong. I saw his answer today on television about whether or not he was going to run to a very nice guy named Al Roker. I mean, you can't get a softer question than that. That was a long answer of talking about the eggs and the this and that. Look, I don't think he can. But say what you want. I don't know who steps in then. So I think in theory, the thought was, look, by the time he gets to the first term, if he gets elected, we'll have a vice president that shows ready to take over. Should Joe Biden need to step aside or want to step aside? But the vice president is not making anybody, including our most fervent supporter outside her husband, feel reassured that she can do the job. She's giggly. She's not serious. She doesn't put in the work, can't keep a staff. Nobody thinks she can run the country. Nobody. And also, nobody thinks you can smoothly let her go. So Joe Biden's going to run, even though most people agree with the former president. How can you? And he used it as an example. He said that you have guys that used to run Home Depot, 80s and 90s, still on top of his game. You have guys like Bernie Sanders. Like it or not, don't agree with the syllable he says. Nobody thinks he's too old. Joe Biden, it's a different story. Sadly, He's running the country. We come back. Martha McCallum joins us. uh, And we hear about a proposal that Kevin O'Leary made that I think he most likely will do. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. At the end of the day, we can make our own energy here very clean. We haven't built a refinery in America in decades because we can't permit it. You know, I don't think I wasn't going to I was planning saying this, but I'm at that stage in my life where I want to do something big. And the task that I've decided I'm going to take on is I'm going to build a refinery in America. Oh, wow. I'm going to do it. I'm going to syndicate the 14th. (laughs) I don't know why I broke it here. But it's going to cost about $14 billion. I'm going to syndicate that debt and that equity. I'm going to find a state that wants to work with me. I'm going to get a permit, and we're going to do the right thing for America. We have to have more refineries. That's the key. Wow, and that is Kevin O'Leary. He's been all over the channels, uh, FBN as well as FNC. Martha McCallum here, Mark Thiessen here. And when you talk about energy, that's one thing we hear, refinery capacity. Well, Kevin O'Leary just wants $14 billion to do it. I guess he's going to go public with it? Is that what he means by syndicate? Sounds like it. He's going to raise capital and um, float it, I guess, as a credit, as a debt instrument. I don't know. Using uh, the woman's voice, Martha McCallum. Hi. Getting set to host her show at three. Mark Thiessen playing wide left uh, <laughs> all over the channel. My natural position. Yeah, natural position. <laughs> Fresh off special report last night. But go ahead, Martha. Well, you know, I, I think he's absolutely right. I love seeing people take that kind of initiative. And I love the fact that he says, you know, he's done a lot in his life. And now he's ready to take on something that he feels will be good for the country. I don't know how you just go. I'm going to build a refinery. I guess you have to float some kind of financial instruments and get some financial backers, all of which he knows something about. But I, I love the, you know, it reminds me of what's going on in Arizona with they're building three enormous chip factories. Right. And some people had mixed feelings about the chip spill. 
But I'll tell you what, when you see three factories going up and workers who are getting ready to work in them and all of the business that it's going to bring to Arizona and all of the um, bringing home chip making, I, I, I think it's tough to have any problem with that. Mark Thiessen, the thing about the chip factories, though, is, is there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of strings attached. Yes. Uh, so that's we're going to get at the details of this. But yeah. as we look at Taiwan and say, who cares about Taiwan and Allen Nation? 90% of our chips come from Taiwan. That's right. That could change our economy in a, in a snap of a finger. Yeah, no, it's America's, it's America's national security interest to bring some of this manufacturing back. And not everything. I mean, I don't care where my T-shirts are made. But, you know, if you're, when you're talking about something that's so vital to our economy, uh, if there was a war over Taiwan and we suddenly lost ha- half of 90% of our chips – you know, that we yeah. saw – we've seen how hard it is to get a car when we just had like a supply chain shortage yeah. of chips. Imagine if 90 – we were cut off from 90 percent of them. Uh, so, you know, we got to bring some of this manufacturing back. we got to start producing energy at home. This is this is not an issue of free market economics versus, you know, socialism. This is actually just a matter of national security. And But the problem is, you know, for I, I feel badly for Kevin O'Leary because he's – you know, Mr. Wonderful is, is dumping this investment into something that Joe Biden's going to try and destroy because there are going to be no gas-powered cars left by the time his refinery oh comes on power because they're going to – they're going to use the EPA as a weapon to to stop manufacturers by using these emission standards. By getting rid of basically forcing us to get rid of gas powered cars in the next decade. I mean, you know, so they're building 500,000 charging stations uh, and they say right now 5 percent of the market is electric and uh, they want it to be 50 percent by the end of the decade, maybe even more. But you might as well just give all of our uh, outsource all of our cars to China. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you need the lithium batteries. You need cobalt. Uh, cobalt. You need all of these essential minerals that used that are used to build these Charging stations and to build the batteries that go into these cars. I, I can't understand why this – how do they overlook this part <laughs> of the equation? Like how, how do you say this will be so great for the world? Meanwhile, China absolutely loves this idea because not only are they making zero effort to cut emissions in their own country, but they're also going to get all of the lithium and uh, mineral business from us putting ourselves in this box. So – Win-win if why, you're China, this entire Why do you thing. hate the planet? I, I don't understand, Martha. I mean, <laughs> the, mean climate on. change is the most important issue oh facing America. It's more important. I mean, John Kerry just said we can't let, you know, we can't let, uh, you know, all the wars and genocide and all these things get in the way of, of, of dealing with climate. I mean, these, these people are, are insane. They're, they, they are it's so obsessed with the climate. It's, it's it really is a religion. And it's a really and it's interesting because there's another there's really in, that survey that came out in the Wall Street Journal about how patriotism is going oh down, gosh, how child yeah. childbearing is going down. It's because and religiosity is going down. It's because young people have shucked the the Judeo Christian religion, which said go forth and multiply, in favor of a religion that has said that says the planet is dying, don't multiply, and don't have kids, don't yeah. have kids. So no, you're you know, right. It's it's it, it's, 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 it's a cult. it is their faith. It is their faith, yeah. and and it's empty. Yes, uh, it, it's an it empty, unsatisfying <laughs> faith. Um, so, you know, good luck. Well, the solar panels, too, not only are all made in China. So you have the batteries Everything. and solar panels. And then they have this situation where evidently we got a bunch of rare earth in Minnesota and they just rejected the ability to strip mine there. Because so we do have the rare earth. We just don't environmentally. We don't want to jeopardize the environment by actually doing it. So we want to have nine-year-olds in the Congo with spoons go into a mountain and work 12 hours a day for $3 a week. So the environmentalists 
want us to save the planet and go electric, but they don't. The environmentalists don't want us to disturb our. It's like if it happens in China, it's not actually happening to the environment, right? Because it's, yeah. you know it was the famous uh, famous who's the great comedian George Carlin had that great routine about how environmentalism is about saving the planet. It's about saving your your neighborhood. It's about saving your your personal you know your personal space. That's what they, they, they're not for strip mining here. Um, and the electric cars, I'm, I'm actually, I always think about columns that I'm going to do when I'm, when I'm talking to you, Brian. I'm going to do a piece on why electric cars are a threat to America. Because, I mean, think, you just think, just think about some of the issues going on. We just raised, raised the issue of the cobalt. And the, so we have energy independence. We can fuel fossil fuel cars for a century without being dependent on foreign countries. But we're going to make ourselves intentionally dependent on China for all these things. The batteries. What do we do with the batteries? We How were in the first ready? generation. Nobody talks about space. this. We're going to have to have a yucca. I mean, have you right. ever had a battery that's like oh, that's old in your in your uh, in your kitchen, and you pick it up and it's oozing with yeah. like you know, all this stuff like that? We're going to have batteries across the country that are oozing. We're going to have to have a yucca mountain to bury these things somewhere. Like that. What What about poor people who, who depend on used cars? There are going to be no used cars because an electric car doesn't la- it lasts like a third the I length. I have never of bought a, a new life. car in my life. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I don't because why would you? The thing that we are missing in this whole picture is we we don't do a cost benefit analysis anymore. There's not a a sort of balanced way of looking at every issue and saying what are the costs and what are the benefits of this. It's like we just go whole hog onto this idea that fits well on a T-shirt and people can Instagram it and they can you know talk about it in these sort of pithy little ways that don't actually make any sense. So it's really, I think, it it goes to the sort of minimization of how we deal with everything. It's like if it sounds good and you want to put it on your bumper sticker, um, on your electric vehicle, (laughs) which you don't see many of the bumper stickers anymore, um, you know, go for it. But there's just no thought process, which is really un-American. Do you realize that electric cars can't get AM radio? Right there, I'm against it. There you go. They better find a workaround on that. That's you can play Super Mario on a Tesla. That's the first and foremost we should be doing. Uh, But I think the music's going to get louder and cut us off when we come back. I want to talk about what President Trump said last night, what he didn't say. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you think Biden will stay in the race? Look, uh, I, I watch him just like you do. And I think it's almost inappropriate for me to say it. But I deal with other people. I don't see, I don't see how it's possible. And it's not an age thing, but there's something wrong. I saw his answer today on television about whether or not he was going to run to a very nice guy named Al Roker. I mean, you can't get a softer question than that. That was a long answer of talking about the eggs and the this and that. Look, I don't think he can. But say what you want. And that was significant. I wasn't expecting that answer. That was uh, President Trump last night speaking for an hour. There's going to be another part today. Uh, tonight at 8 o'clock Eastern time with uh, Tucker Carlson with me in studio, Martha McCallum, Mark Thiessen. Uh I want you to comment on that. I don't know how much you, you've watched, but that was significant. He actually had a little bit of compassion. It's like this guy's not even – he's not all there. Yeah, I thought it was a very interesting answer. I think based on the polls, there are a lot of people who feel as a citizen, as he does, 
about watching the president and seeing what his performance is like. I think he's certainly not alone. I thought for him, he was pretty diplomatic about it in a way. And he said it's not age. It's not a question of age. He talked about how Bernie Sanders is um, that age or older. And, and Bernie Marcus. And that, and he used to run. And yeah. And he said he's very capable. You know, he's like, I was watching Bernie Sanders the other day and he makes perfect sense. So it's not a question of age. It's a question of ability. And I think that. Uh, as I said, you know, he lines up with a lot of the polling in America of, of Democrats who feel that way. Only 32 percent want him to run again. Mark Thiessen, Tim Scott basically said exploratory committees step away from saying I'm going to I'm in. So I assume he's in Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, Governor, uh, Governor Nikki Haley. And we have another governor in there, Asa Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. So looking at the race right now, is the president right? Is he right not to assume that Joe Biden is running again when it's just going to be formality? And I think he's going to run again. I don't. I don't see any chance unless he suffers some sort of, you know, has a stroke or something like that, which is possible at his age. Uh, but you know, the, the the other thing is keep in mind, Joe Biden didn't have to say much in the 2020 election. He beat him from hiding in his basement. I mean, it, when it, when Trump is the candidate, all the talking gets done by Donald Trump. So, you know, he accused him of getting shot with adrenaline before the before big events. Yeah. It, who knows? I mean, but, you know, so, you know, it, it, if you look, you look at Tim Scott, you look at our if you take Trump and 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 Biden off the ticket and just put our field up against their field, it's like, a, you know, it's a it's going to be a massacre. The Republicans could any Republican candidate could crush. I mean, either Kamala Harris. Against Tim Scott, uh, you know Gavin Newsom against Ron DeSantis. I mean, these these are two minute decisions in the first minutes for coffee. The, the, I, I I think our the Republican Party's future is very bright. We've got a huge, wonderful field of uh, of, of talent, uh, an embarrassment of riches. Um, but you know we got to get rid of the eighty year olds. And we and we got a big announcement happened on our couch today. Cut twenty two. Ronna McDaniel. We are going to host the very first debate with Fox News. It will be a Fox News Republican primary debate. But we're also going to partner with some pretty exciting partners. For the first time ever, we're going to live stream on Rumble. Uh Uh, We're getting away from big tech. YouTube's owned by Google. We're going to have an RNC channel on Rumble. And then the Young America's Foundation, which is run by Scott Walker, to really reach out to young voters. They're based in Wisconsin, so they're going to be a partner as well. Well, So did you know that ahead of time? Yeah, you know, it's... uh, Fantastic news. Fox is really excited to host the first debate in uh, August in Milwaukee. I think it's great news. I think the alliances are really strong as well. And, what do you uh, mean by that? You mean the alliances with the, the broadcast? With Rumble, with, with YAF. I, I think that, you know, there's a need for when, – when I look at, you know, and, and obviously we'll cover the Democrats' convention, the Republicans' convention, all of these big events, right? And I think the outreach that is being done on the Democrat side is is far more effective in terms of uh, their embrace of, you know, TikTok, which I don't like. I don't have TikTok. I wouldn't want it in my family, in my home for obvious reasons, but they have monopolized it. That's a whole other discussion. Um, they need – and I think Republicans, you know, we're just looking at it from – a political perspective. I I hear what Mark is saying. I don't know if I if I agree with it from a political strength perspective because I think that there's a lot of there's a lot for Republicans to overcome out there, and abortion is high on that list. So the way I look at it is this: uh, in the 2022 midterms, every governor who signed an abortion law restricting abortion won 
overwhelmingly. Precisely, but that's the because they articulated yeah. their position no, on it. No, that's exactly and right. in the large scope, in the because I spoke to people who were working on Republican campaigns, we had briefings with them about what their strategy was, and I asked them, what are you going to say about abortion? And the answer was, um, we don't think people are persuadable on that issue, so we're, we're ignoring it. Yeah, okay? that's a bad strategy. Bad strategy. <laughs> did not work. And I believe that is the reason that they didn't get the 35, 45 numbers that we were hearing the in, yeah. in the House. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, and Lindsey Graham got a lot of heat for proposing a 15-week ban. That's in line with all of Europe, essentially. Um, it's not going to make everybody happy on either side, but it, you know, I think that there's an argument to be made about it. There's an argument to be made around it, but it's too late for that. But he was saying that's a, that's a federal ceiling that the states could make it lower. So here's the, here's the issue. So in, in number one, the polls show that, uh, that uh, this like something like 72% of Americans support a 15 week abortion ban, including a 60% supermajority of Democrats. So this is, this is actually 15 weeks is an area of common ground. Then you've got red states where the voters are much more pro-life and they're going to pass more restrictive laws. You've got blue states, which are now actually amazingly like getting rid of common sense things like parental notification, things that have majority support and going far, far left. We Republicans have to make Democrats own that. And in the purple states, they have to be smart and be where the people are. The, the pro-life movement has been fighting for this day for so long. They think and they, they act like they won. We've only, the battle only has begun because now it's going to the, back into politics and you have to win hearts and minds and convince people of the humanity of the unborn child. That's going to take decades. And you can't just go in just because you have a Republican majority and say we're going to pass the most restrictive abortion law possible. You have to pass a law that is sustainable politically so you don't end up electing pro, pro-abortion people to replace state representatives and then convince people and move the move the move the the lever closer to the to the line of life every every year. And the one thing I think is pretty astounding that has changed since 2020 is uh, inflation is now consistently at 5 percent between 5 and 8 percent again year to year up 5 percent just came in again. Then you have a situation where our our threat is real for our state as the number one economic and military superpower in the world. you got an active war going on, and people saying, is the president giving them enough not to lose but not enough to win? You see the collapse of Afghanistan uh, in 2020 from his report card. And is it enough if the Republicans get clear on abortion? If you look at how poorly he's performed in almost every aspect of his job, unless you're pro-overspending, that the Democrats are more vulnerable uh, than formidable. Well, I th- I think that on I I think all, you're right on all of those points. The question is articulating the future of the country. I was watching uh, this a clip from a Reagan speech yesterday, and he was talking about the you know the size of government and how how difficult it is to run a business in America. Magnify that by a thousand in terms of what businesses have to deal with today, yeah. right? Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. You know, we were talking about the combustion engine, right, and replacing it with electric vehicles. It is unbelievable how much of our lives is dictated by government now. But it's not talked about. It's not articulated enough to make people – to make it attractive to people. So what you've also got – I think another big factor in the midterms was the student loan issue, paying off people's student loans. There's a reason why lines of voters, young voters, were wrapped around the blocks in Michigan and Wisconsin, and it was abortion. And, gee, they're going to pay off my student loans. So people like free stuff. So conservatives have to make this argument in a way that makes sense to people, that it gives them freedom and agency in their lives. Uh 
or Democrats will win that argument, those arguments again. Yeah, I mean, I think you ha- it has to be argued smartly, and, and you have to make the Democrats own their extremism. The Democrats are the ones who are extreme on abortion. They're for abortion on demand up until the moment of birth. Tiny minor- minority of the country supports that. And so, you know, and I, I think also that abortion becomes a decisive issue in the election when we when Republicans screw up everything else. So when we had strong candidates like these gubernatorial candidates in Florida and in, in Ohio and other places who actually signed abortion restrictions, the, it wasn't decisive in their elections because they were strong candidates that appealed to a broad segment of the population. On the other hand, when we, you pick some of these the, the Doug Mastrianos of the world and the, and the Blake Masters and the Kerry Lakes who are winning by small, you know, are competing for small margins, two or three or four percent who are voting on abortion could be the difference between winning and losing. So you have to win and be appealing on all the other issues to neutralize that as a negative for the Republicans. And if they do that, if they pick the right candidates, it's not going to be decisive. Well, if you look at Florida, Rubio, Georgia, um, Brian Kemp, um, Vance in Ohio, right, all had very strong um, pro-life stances and articulated them, weren't afraid to talk about it. And one in states that, you know, Ohio's red these days, um, and so is Florida, but they both, you know, historically have a lot of purple and blue yeah. in them as well. So, and Georgia is a tough state uh, for Republicans as well. So we found out last Wednesday or Thursday, the New York Times slash Wall Street Journal started running stories about a massive leak at our Pentagon that's going to reveal battle plans for Ukraine to surge in the spring. It was going to talk about South Korea uh, being cajoled in order to give up some armaments and 350,000 rounds of ammunition. They didn't want to do the UAE, possibly secretly setting up an alliance with Russia. We see that possibly Israel, the Mossad working against Benjamin Netanyahu's government to help foment the riots that we were seeing last week. This is big stuff, top secret stuff all out and about and has been available in corners of the Internet since January. Martha, this is devastating when you come out and say, by the way, we don't know how it got out, who is responsible, or if the worst is yet to come. I don't remember anything quite like this with Edward Snowden or Chelsea Manning. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a lot in there that is embarrassing, but I think that's really too light a word, right? Because the, the consequences of this are enormous. When I read that Egypt is discussing, considering, sending 40,000 missiles to Russia, and we give them over a billion dollars a year to Egypt in in, uh, military support, and then we also give them another large check in terms of regular aid. I'm thinking, what is going on here, right? What, What is going on? Then the UAE, another country that is supposed to be an ally of the United States, is discussing whether or not they want to have a bond to cut out U.S. and U.K. intelligence uh, and, and you know, sort of align on their own with people that we see on, on the sort of axis of evil now. What's going on? Who are our friends? Who are our friends when people are talking like this? And why are we giving – I talked to Senator Kennedy about this yesterday. He's like, well, you know what? we got to cut off the money. If they're, if they're not going to cooperate with us as allies and behave as allies, we need to stop giving them all of this money. Uh, why wouldn't you take that deal, right? You get a billion dollars no matter what you do. Why not sell 40,000 missiles uh, to Russia, to Russia in the middle of all of this? And you see the devastation, Mark. The other thing is if I pick up the phone and I call Blinken and I got something urgent to handle, if I got to uh, email something over to America, to the Pentagon for something that needs to be procured, I'm thinking twice. Mm-hmm. Do I want yeah. this to be public? 
because this is embarrassing. When's the last time China had a leak from their Defense Department? Never happens. But I mean, you know, think about this. I mean, this is literally burning sources and methods. I mean, exposing our penetration of the Russian Defense Ministry or the Wagner Group. Uh, there, there are people literally. I would, I would think right now who are in hiding. To try and because because they, they, if you yeah. they, the Russians can hunt them down and figure, but on the basis of the information that is exposed, they can go back and and figure out who gave it uh, or who they suspect of it. So this is enormously devastating. The 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 story that I found the most absolutely drove me absolutely nuts is the assessment that the that the spring offensive might not be conclusive uh, for the Ukrainians. Well, why the heck is that? It's because you're not providing them with the Absolutely. weapons to win. Yeah. It's like, so, so you sit there Look and you're in the ring- mirror. I mean, my God, you know, I had Jack Keane on my podcast. Uh, he, I know he's on both of you, both of your shows all the time. But he said he said to win combined arms warfare, you need certain ingredients. And if you don't have them, you don't win. You need tanks. Right. You need air power. You need long range missiles. Well, what are we not providing the Ukrainians? Tanks. Attackums, long, long-range missiles that can reach into Crimea and take out that yeah. thing, and we're not providing them with F-16s, so we're literally not the providing we them. Will. In the fall, we will. Well, eventually, yeah. <laughs> Once the offensive is uh, over, I Martha, mean, I don't want to, um, I don't want to alarm you, mm-hmm. but um, I don't want to be forced. <laughs> I can hack into your iPad and find out who's going to be on your show, uh, or you could do it the easy way and tell me. But when we come back, Martha will reveal who's on our show, or I'll have to use my cyber team. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Are you saying that uh, you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election 2024? Well, I'll either be rolling an egg or you know, being the, the, you know, the guy who's pushing them out. That's right. That's right, Jack. I got big Easter news. Joe Biden can lay eggs. <laughs> Easy as pie. No, I push them right out the cloaca, okay? Serve them up scrambled or sit on them for a while, raise a beautiful flock of little baby Joes. Peep, peep, peep. <laughs> Point is, I am mentally fit to once again run for president of the United States. What's going on? Where's Jill? Marco, Jillo. So that is uh, Stephen Colbert. We thought it was significant to make fun of uh, Joe Biden. Mark Thiessen and Martha McCallum are here. Um, do you think that's significant? I do. I do. Because they're not just making fun of it. They're making fun of the exact weakness. Which yeah. Is I mean, it's essentially point. what the former President Trump said. <laughs> so that doesn't happen every day. Right. Okay. So I think it's interesting when those two people are on the same page. It's uh, It's kind of interesting. Obviously, Stephen's noticing what... Polls tell us many people are noticing, and uh, it's not to take anything away from the current president, but it's a question mark about whether or not he should run. Mark, do you have something to ask Martha? <laughs> Who's going to be on your show today? Well, Mark, <laughs> as, as much as we, we couldn't get Mark Deason today, we tried really hard, but we did get Brian Kilmeade, so yes. we're really excited. Um, to be at the top of the show. We're also going to talk to Jack Keane about these leaks. Jennifer Griffin's going to update us on the very latest because John Kirby's making some new statements uh, that frame this a little bit differently. So we're going to talk about that. And, boy, 2024 is heating up. We now have a debate on the calendar, which we're super excited about, and we know where the DNC is going to be in Chicago. So uh, we have a great onset panel to talk about that. As Tim Scott looks like he's almost ready to throw his hat in the ring, right? He's already yeah. got a lot of money, right? Exploratory, exploratory committee. What he's do you do? When are you million. launching your exploratory committee? I'm thinking about it. And my, if the show goes well. And I'm Jim gonna... Jordan joins us as well. <laughs> 
Jim Jordan, real good. Yep. Uh, we haven't talked about Hunter Biden. How significant now does his story move? The fact that 80 visits from Hunter Biden business partners to Vice President Biden during those years, yes. 80 visits. That's I mean, a Fox Digital exclusive. Intriguing thing to me is Rob Walker's visits um, in the double digits. And he was the guy who was dividing up the money and cutting the checks to different members of the Biden family. Did during the Carter years, did they suppress the 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 uh, Billy Carter stories like they suppressed the Hunter Biden stuff? I mean, it's it's because <laughs> we're like in the seventies again. Like we got gas, you know, gas crisis, war, in you know, wars going on. You know, American allies being overthrown by Islamic radicals, and we got you know a presidential relative doing business deals with tyrants. I mean, like why why are, why not cover that too? I know. I I also I think that it's a very good idea. I also think it's important to point out now you have a stenographer, Mike McCormick, who said Joe Biden committed crimes in Ukraine in a conspiracy with current. Uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, he's a witness to it. He was a stenographer during the Obama years. So now you have a witness, separate from politics, who obviously served in a Democratic administration. That's the background check. This could get bigger. We'll see. Mark and Martha, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.